Mic'd Up is supported by McRae Financial Services. Financial planning for every stage of life. Visit mcraefs.co.uk. More details on McRae a little later. Now, let's roll on with our chat. So, you know, as someone who started my career in the audio world, in radio, I was always taught to paint a picture of wherever I am for the listeners. So, folks, I'm in the south side of Glasgow. No, you're not. You're in East End. <laughs> is this East End? This is East. <laughs> I thought this was South End. I don't know Glasgow that well. This um, is the East End. We're in the East End of Glasgow at Elaine's lovely home overlooking <laughs> First faux pas. Um, we have our coffee. We're sitting having an atta. Elaine, big thanks for taking, t- taking time out to, to have a chat because I know it's been full on yeah, work- work-wise for you. How are you doing? Uh, knackered with a capital F. I'm allowed to say that. But yeah, it's been uh, eight weeks of uh, of two doors down filming um, and it's 13 hour days. It's studio in Dumbarton. So it's the drive there, the drive back. On set at eight, wrap at seven. And the, it's not like any other show I've ever done where uh, you are literally on set all the time. And that is what, uh, you know, when you would do Rab C or whatever, uh, they would be doing close-ups. So you wouldn't necessarily have to be there. They could do lines off. You know, television, you can, uh, you're not in that day because they're doing other scenes or whatever. The way two doors down is you're in that living room or you're in one place, sometimes with nine characters in one room with two cameras. And that wonderful thing that you get of seeing, I was saying the other day, I realised it's not a show about acting, it's a show about reacting. Because when Christine says something outrageous, it is the reaction of everybody to what she says that is really, really funny, and you feel that you're in the room. It's Christine's reaction to what somebody else says. It really seems to resonate with so many different types of people. Yeah, and I've, I really feel as if I've been very, very fortunate in my career anyway, and that, you know, to, to be in one sitcom that, uh, that basically, you know, is the only one from Scotland that has ever made the top 40 or whatever of best uh, sitcoms, um, and to be in that and, and to, to then get another chance for something like that to come along. I, I do remember before I did Calendar Girls, I was in Aberdeen and I was doing a Little Voice, the show there, and it was our company that had produced it. It was myself and Andy Gray and it was real fun and it was a real great thing to do. It was about the third one we'd done, working with Michael Harrison as well. And I remember sitting in the dressing room thinking, you know, if this is as good as it gets, Thanks. We had a full house, people were turning up, and you think, how lucky am I that I can go out and do this? And and about three days later, I got a phone call from David Pugh saying, oh, would you come and be in Calendar Girls? And I, and I thought, oh, that's what I'm waiting on. And, and it was great because I wasn't the lead, I, w- I wasn't carrying in, I was just a part of a really good ensemble. And Bob thought I wouldn't do it because it wasn't a lead part or something. I went, no, I actually want to go back to being a team. And so ended up a year later in the West End in London and all that, never thinking that would happen. Two Doors Down was another thing. Uh, I remember Bob, I wasn't in the pilot, and Bob had seen it. And, of course, Alec and Johnny are really, really old pals. Yeah, Bob's your husband. That's Bob's my husband, yeah. just, just in case people don't know. Yes, just <laughs> a random guy called Bob <laughs> So Bob said, well, I watched that thing Johnny and Alec were in. He said, it was really good, it was really fresh. 
So the first reaction from any actor about that is jealousy, that you're knowing it. So I was like, eh. But it turns out they had done an availability on me for it, and I was in Panto in Aberdeen and couldn't do it. But your agent doesn't always tell you what done availability, availability, availability on you, wow. darling. You know, but I think they were just trawling around to see who was around, <laughs> who was available of that age. Um, and, and apparently the whole thing of it even going on was an accident. Something that BBC had already in in London had fallen through and they picked this off the shelf. How often and does that happen in life? Isn't that though, bizarre? An opportunity comes your way. An opportunity, as uh, Ricky Fulton would call it. And, and you've, just, you've just got to grab it and think, yeah. Well, that was. I, I, and when I watched it, I thought, oh, it's really good. It's really fresh. It's different. I had no... Because I'd done so long in this, but I had no desire... It was about different challenges. I would rather have gone and done a wee play at the Lyceum or the Tron because it was about different things in life. And I and I'll, I genuinely thought, I've had my shot. I, you know, I've had a really good shot. There's loads of great actors and particularly actresses out there to get a shot. So then about a year later, I saw they were doing a series and I said to my agent, if Ed never came up in that, I'd be interested in that. Um, I think in one episode... You know, go in and do clean her up the back or something like that, because I just thought that'd be a good thing to do. And went in to meet Steve, Steve Carney and Gregor Sharp, who's one of the writers, Gregor, uh, with Simon Carlyle. And I thought I was going up for one episode. And uh, then the next thing it came back saying, Oh, no, we want you as the wonderful Sharon Rooney, Sophie's mum. Um, would you be interested? And it was six eps, and I thought, Yeah, great. But the first series, I thought, Oh, I can't do this. I mean, the intensity of it, the attention to detail that they have, the writer, particularly Simon, would be on set all the time coming in. And, you know, I wasn't used to that sort of intense scrutiny of it. Now I love it. Now I love Simon coming in and going, see if there was a line the other day, so one of the episodes where Christine's talking to uh, folk about um, they're going to Australia. And she says... I've actually been looking at holidays myself as it happens. And they go, uh, oh, really? Where were you thinking of going? And I say, Adrian's Wall. <laughs> and then they go, oh, that would be nice. And I say, yeah, there's the option of adding on a two-night uh, stay in Carlisle. But I don't think, and it's said in the, the scripts, I'm like, I don't think I'm up to a city break at my age, right? So the, the notion of being overwhelmed by Carlisle is so wonderful. But Simon, the writer, came in and he went, I've just watched it, and he couldn't stop laughing. And he said, could you say, instead of up to, could you, he said, we'll rewrite it, could you say, I don't think I could cope <laughs> Well, I must, have been, I must have been 10 takes at the thought of Christine getting on the bus at the end going, ah, never again. It was too much for me. <laughs> the main street. So, so those wee things detail, will happen you know, and that detail's wonderful. Yeah, it sounds an all-encompassing experience yes. on just about every single level. Every um, level, but uh, there is a relief of getting the fat suit off and the wig off at the end of it. Yeah, because yeah. during COVID, that was the thing, I lost three stone during COVID. And I walked back in and they went, oh my God. And, uh, and I had to say, you look amazing. <laughs> you look really well, good. Uh, nothing but, like your character. Nothing like my character. But, uh, and then I, they said, oh, look, what we're going to do, you just look. And Simon kept looking at me. And he, when he sees me in real life, he always gets really freaked and goes, because I write for Christine. I'm like, wait a minute. And uh, 
I said, well, we were offering you, but I had to do something. And they said, would you wear padding? I went, yeah, yeah. I said, and actually, Christine would be one of those who had just eat on speed dial, you know, because Beth wasn't making her food anymore. So she would be bigger. So we made her even bigger, you know, so. But there's something quite wonderful about being able to take that off yeah, and the wig off at the yeah, end. Oh, I bet. Uh, and be back to yourself. It's, and I think... Uh, you you inhabit who that character is to make the comedy truthful. If if for a second I sit there as Christine or Mary Nesbitt or whoever it is, thinking it's funny, I wait to see this, it's funny, forget it. Yeah. You've got to play the truth of it. I'm in that room and I am that woman. I, 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 in as much as if I was doing a Shakespeare play or whatever, you have to be in that. Uh, so that inhabited. means you take on every aspect of yes. her character, good, good, bad, depression, whatever, yeah. her life. Well, Christine is life. essentially lonely. You know, she's on her own, her daughter's away. She's If you actually look to who the character is, and all she's got is her neighbours, but she's got no filter. So she says what she thinks, and she's also got no man to tell her to be quiet. <laughs> so <laughs> that's liberating, actually, to play, but the... I think that's why she's allowed to be funny as well. And the men are a wee bit fear of her as well. So, but, but you have to go there to make that character funny. You yeah. have to be truthful about who she is. Um, and then, then the comedy bit. But if you start winking at the camera and going, hey, wait a minute, this is funny. No, it's not. Is that years of experience that has got to you to that point to, to, to understand that? that yeah. So you don't step over the, the line, but you step over the line enough to make it work? Uh, I think that's a really good question. I think it is confidence and experience. I do remember in the Steamy, I was in the original production of the Steamy playing Dolly, and Alex Norton, who is, in, of course, in Tudor's Down as well, he directed it. Brilliant, brilliant director. He directed a lot of my panels as well. But ironically, this is the first time we've ever worked together, actually acted together. But um, he directed Shirley Valentine as well. But in the Steamy, I had a bit as Dolly where I came across the stage after Margaret has a Margaret has a big outburst about would you just stop talking about galleries mints or whatever and Dolly walks out and everyone goes silent and it was a night in East Kilbride and I remember I walked across the stage and I looked at the a flag and I looked across the audience uh, and looked at them and, and raised my eyebrows and went you know nodded my head as if to say oh she's in a bad mood right and the audience burst out laughing round of applause and of course, as an actor, I go in going, that was good. I got a big laugh there. That was brilliant. And Alec came to see it, a director. We'd been on tour and he, he saw me do it and we were just about to go into the sits and he went, uh, see that bit when you come across after the mints? And I went, yeah. He said, hilarious. And I said, oh, good, good. He said, cut it. And I went, what? And he said, it's the only time we break the wall. He said, it's really funny. But it's the only time the characters count. You come out of character to do that with the audience. He said, "He said I know why you're doing it, and it was like killing my babies." You know, I was like, "But he was right." He understood. Yeah. He was yeah. absolutely yeah. right, and it's a note. I was only like 29 when I was doing that. Um, it was. It's a note I've carried on, mm. and uh, to to kill your babies and not if you're getting a laugh at the expense of everybody else or the expense of the piece. It's not worth it. And I've worked with many who would rather they shone than the piece shown. And I, I think it's about, or the best theatre for me is collaboration. 
when I'm doing panto, the funnier Johnny Mac is, the funnier Darren Brownlee is, the funnier, the better the songs are, the better the, better the show. Um, and you I, get the egos, don't you, that just... Oh, God. I, in your I, world, there's a lot of those. In my world, there's yeah, a lot of Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of stories of, of uh, old variety acts who, who literally dimmed the lights when other people go on because they were in control or their lights were stronger and, and the band were louder because the top turn was coming on. Nah, not having that. It's about the whole thing for the audience. And a lot of the time then you forget the audience. But if you need to do that, if you need to go, I'm number one, then then you're not really number one. Yeah, you'll soon find out. Well, but you're not. If you need to do that, the audience know who's number one. Yeah. You don't need yeah. to keep yeah. saying yeah. it. And they, they could tell you, and within the business, people all know that. But that, that does, to get back to that question, it is about experience and it is about accepting that because comedy is is sort of looked down a bit you know people look down not the audience but you look there's no oscar for best comedy there's no oscar for best comedy performance no no that's a good point so robin robin williams yeah there's in the golden globes and stuff but um because uh, acting serious yes, yes acting is very serious yeah, yeah mm. anybody would tell you it's hard to make people laugh than make them cry Easy to make people cry. Easy, not easy, but it's your stock and trade. You go with it, and you can watch really good comedy actors can do tragedy. Really good tragic actors can't do comedy. They're not. They don't have a lightness of touch. They don't know where they, because it's it, the timing isn't the Time, same. Timing's key, isn't it? It's timing. You can have the worst gag in the world, but if you time it really well, you still get a laugh out of it, you know. But um, I think that's the experience. The timing. I certainly learned doing the see me watching Dorothy Paul who was a master having come out of variety and come out of a different era from me to watch her confidence, to watch that ability to wait. I, I can go and see young actors who are really, really good and I want to shout at them, wait, because they're going, I'll just see all the lines all together here at once and I, I'm going, you've got three laughs there. Don't, if you just wait and you time it yeah, yeah. Uh, and let the audience in, you mentioned Dorothy Paul. Again, yeah. I guess I guess throughout your career, learning from other actors has, has been an important aspect of that as well. Yeah, but oh, Gregor, Gregor Fisher, fabulous actor, brilliant timing, brilliant ability to real professionalism and all of that. Watching him, um, going to see things and, and working with older people. The thing I say to young actors is watch. Drama school will get you, you know, I, I say go to drama school, do whatever you go, watch and learn. Stand in the wings and watch how they do it. Don't copy them, but go, oh, that's how you hold on to a laugh. Or oh, that's how you do. One of the best things from younger actors now to me is saying, like one of the young actresses who was on uh, Two Doors Down there said to me, God, I've learned so much just watching you and watching how you do it on the... And that's, that's a big compliment. Oh, it's, it's <clears throat> fabulous. She's probably learnt how not to do it. <laughs> going on, no doing that. But uh, I think that for me is, uh, and, and if you, I'm 64 now, so what I want to leave behind is to say to young actresses particularly, look, here's the route. There is a route. It's not just because it's me. Because what, when I started out, I don't know whether you did as well, that, that you were the only one and you were seen as, I noticed in Naked Radio that when I went off, I was away on tour and I couldn't do so, and they got another actress in. She was back to being the nurse 
the the wife, the but you know the woman. The, Traditional role the traditional of, feed yeah, of stuff, yeah. whereas the the writers up until then, Ian Patterson and all the people were writing were writing stuff for me. Yeah, yeah. But but when I went, they 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 went. Oh well, just the, the woman doesn't matter. So what I, I've always wanted is that that when the women coming along and they go, give them a give them a good thing. The Angie Darcy and Joanne, who were the uglies last year. In the panel, I kept going. See if you do that when you come on, you get a big laugh. No, I'm not on stage with them, and I'm not telling them how to do it. But I'm going. There's a laugh there, you know, because I want them to be brilliant. Is this also a bit of the drama, not teacher coming uh-huh. out? Because I mean, you, that's how you you yes, started. You started yeah, in yeah. that world as a as a drama teacher, didn't you? Yeah, I, and I loved teaching. I, I I loved I loved that relationship with the kids, and and I directed a lot of stuff for the kids as well. But you. You realise there's a way of directing that you can't just get up and say, this is how I would do it. You know, you've got to let people find it themselves. But I think maybe from drama teaching that that desire to get the whole thing good and the overall and not just be about yourself um, and not just about your performance. I think from an educational point of view, that's what I want. And the audience really matters to me. The audience... Uh, their reaction and serving them to a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff like Calendar Girls. You know, nobody would say that was the, it's the best film that's ever made or the best production that you've ever seen. But, but, uh, or, you know, it's not Ibsen or whatever. Audiences loved it. They loved it they because loved it, it was about us. It was about women, and and that that's what attracted me to it. Not because here were a group of women doing something extraordinary. Now, it's not the thing that West End audiences are generally... One, it's not a musical, but it's not, oh, it's on at the National. Oh, it's on at the... It's not a View from the Bridge by Arthur Miller that's getting wonderful review. It is... Uh, but that's not why you want to, why I want to do it anyway. I want to do it for the audience. There's a place for everything, isn't there? Yeah, and I, don't get me wrong, I loved a view from the bridge. I went to see it and loved it, and um, I go to the National, and I go to those things, and that's great, but but film for me, I suppose, does that sort of stuff better, because you can get close, and you can see more, and, and I think in theatre, if you forget the audience... Uh, that that's like, well, what's the point of people paying 100 quid? You know, musicals don't forget the audience. That's why people go, because yeah, they want to have a I good time. I think you get some audiences that just pay because they want to see to say they've been to see it. Yes. And whether they like it's irrelevant. Absolutely. That's so sad. It's so sad. It's so... And I, I, I mean, Shakespeare never wanted that. He had the groundlings down there at the front shouting out and, you know, giving their opinion and all of that. So well, I, I, never, I never get really upset at audiences. I, I do if they're pissed and trying to join in and, and nobody can hear what they say. People think, oh, just heckle, I'll be funny. But actually, all you hear on stage is, hello, hello, hello. you don't hear you it. You actually hear the words. And the so. rest of the audience can't hear it. All they hear is a noise. But the individual thinks they're being They're hilarious. being hilarious. So yeah. I'm, I'm not advocating that, but but I think you forget the audience at your peril. That that certainly is, is yeah. what so I would say to people. Going back to the teaching when you were yeah. teaching, do, do, do you ever did you ever hear from any of your ex 
pupils who kind of remembered you as their their teacher. Oh, they turned up all the time. Oh, they? Up, oh yeah. Um, some have gone on to be actors. Um, some went. Tony County, who's director and all that. I tutored him to get into drama school, and and then he ended up he ended up directing me in. Uh, he went through drama school, became an actor, and he's a really fine director. And he directed Women Who Cooked Her Husband. We got Tony in, and you know, he's he's great. And he directed um, one at two, Jim Cartwright's two that we did. Um, but uh, and other ones who've gone through, Ian Ricky, who ended up uh, being a director as well, and uh, was one of my pupils. And loads of them, from that point of view, go, I went to, oh, you two, I went to, it was Fairhill High, I taught in, in Edinburgh. But, but when I'm doing shows, they turn up. And, of course, they're in their 50s now. <laughs> and I'm like, and they go, and they still call me Miss. Do you remember okay. me, Miss? <laughs> and, I, and, of course, I remember a 14-year-old yeah, or a 15-year-old. Yeah. So they look nothing like, or they write to me, or I was in Morrisside one day and this woman came out of a beautician's and it was her beauty salon. And she went, oh, you were my drama teacher at school, you know, which was lovely. And offered me a discount for coming in, but, um, <laughs> which was great. But so, particularly in Edinburgh, I get uh, that. But I was also uh, I did some tutoring at Scottish Youth Theatre, so there's there's kids who came through Scottish Youth Theatre as well. So that's you don't think at the time, but but having a wee bit of influence and having made an impact. And of course, I met Bob when I was teaching as well. He was a economics modern studies teacher. So that, of course, was the talk of the steamy at the school as well. Miss Smith and Mr. Morton. Really? Um, was that because I remember we did, the, the teachers used to do an end of year sort of show for the kids. And uh, I, I was playing an evil uh, doctor. Doctor, it was Rubik's Cubes were really big at the time. I was an evil doctor. And Bob was the superhero in it. You know, what was that? <laughs> Superman costume and all that. <laughs> And, uh, Is that what did it for you? Oh no, <laughs> maybe that put me off. But um, <laughs> but he, uh, we had to we had to meet, and that was the thing. We had to kiss at one point, and that was there was some magic that was on. Well, the kids just you can imagine it. Fuck, kids, that's disgusting. <laughs> um, so that was, but I I did I did love it. I did love that. That that time in the working. Yeah. But I'm, where do you think it's placed you now? Oh. You you'd said you said you're more more anxious generally. I think I think we all are. Mm -hmm. I, I I think we all feel a little bit of uncertainty about our lives. That perhaps I felt that before a little bit as well. But you know what's going to happen next? No idea. I've no idea what's around the corner. I've no idea in the world that we live in. And maybe all we were doing was fooling ourselves that we had any control before. I think. You know, the Chinese always say, you know, you only have today. You know, yesterday's gone. You can't think about tomorrow because you don't have that. There's no guarantees. And we've learned through a lot of pain and a lot of uh, anxiety and, and loss over these last years that you don't have it. You don't, you, you know, uh, that you don't have that time ahead. You can hope you've got that time, but, but you don't. So... De really, really trying to live in the day and in the moment is is uh, a life's work, I suppose. And to get to that point, to be very, to try and be grateful for the things that are coming. But I know I will never, ever, ever go back to working the way I did. Never. I'll never be, um, you know, getting the train to Edinburgh to rehearse to do. But a what is that role you've always wanted and? 
it's, it's suddenly dropped your way and... There isn't one now. Right, okay. There isn't, I, I realise there isn't, there may be something like my husband says, because I was always a singer, he said, you really should have done an album, you know, you should maybe do an album with, and something like that, well, you can go into a recording studio, you can, that's you, not... You can maybe do that in your own, at your own pace. Exactly. You know? Something like that. Um, there are there are things that have come along. I don't think people realise what an amazing singer you are. <laughs> I well, I, people are always and that's amazed because you, you did you not work in? Were you not? I was a club pubs yeah. and pubs. Yeah, yeah. I was a singer. I was a singer before anything else, and uh, worked in clubs. Sadly, my mother was not a singer, but my mother would always come along. My father. Um, but I played pubs. I must have been so proud of you. Oh, my dad. My dad bought me my mic and my, my speakers and all that to go along with the band. But... Um, have you yeah. got happy memories of that of that time? Yeah. You yeah. know, being in the Maggie, I don't know if you remember the Maggie. It was a pub in Soggy Hill Street or the Amphora or um, all those pubs in Glasgow or, or the Victorian carriage in Great, I remember. You know, all a great fun. The back of a van, transit van with a band, being the lassie singer in the band. But what a laugh. What, and I've always loved being around musicians. I've always loved the humour and the... Uh, Gordon Wilson, who's one of the best drummers on the planet, is always off. He always calls me TT Top Turn because the band's always like the music that I picked as well. You know, I would, I would, I love soul music, and so uh, my first one woman show, I had a huge soul band with me and backing singers. Is that and your favourite stuff to sing? Oh yeah, yeah. great. Bit of Billy Holiday, bit of Patsy Cline, depending on how pissed I am. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I, enjoy, I, I really do enjoy how and feel very grateful for having that skill. Um, when did you know you could sing? When did your mum? Was it your mum that? Oh, um, I knew my cousin Kate was a fantastic singer, and it was you know is that you, you sound ancient. We go in those days. We made our own entertainment. Every day sitting down in the house singing, and and I learned about billing because the Duff singers went on first, and then the good singers came on. And my cousin Kate was a really fab singer, and um, as a young girl, I used to watch that. And then I discovered in primary school. I can't believe I did this, that you had to audition for the school play. And I chose the Beatles' Norwegian Wood, which was, you know, I had all these sort of really suggestive lyrics in it. And then I was at 10 singing. Uh, um, and then she said, it's time for bed. <laughs> My muscle coming. She asked me to stay, you know, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and I think of the lyrics now. But I got into the show and... I did, there was a wee song where I had a verse on my own, and it was one of those Christmassy, there was a da who came from Spain, da 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 da. And I sang it, and, and my mum went after it, she said, You sang really well. And I think I was only about 10, 11, she noticed. And then in high school, I, I remember that ability when you can stop the room. And I didn't know, you know, you're, you're all put in in the, in the music class and the altos and sopranos and all of that. You see what your range was. And we got a song that is still one of my favourites, The Four Marys. You'll have learned that as well. Um, Yestreen, the Queen had four Marys, the next she'll hear but three. There was Mary sitting and Mary beating. And Mary Carmichael and me. Beautiful song. Loved it. And we had to do a verse. And uh, they came round to me and I sang. And all my pals went, 
you can sing? And the music teacher went, Elizabeth, yes, very good, Mrs. Johnson, who I loved. Um, and I got into the choir. But I realised the effect on the room mm -hmm. yeah. when you can open that up then. Now, I've not got the best range in the world or any of those things, but uh, I, I was able to do it on an audition for Wildcat and I played piano, it's so I sat It's also having in. confidence to do it. You know, I'm intrigued yeah. by this 10-year-old standing up there and singing away there and, and actually having the confidence to do that. I never would have been able to do that. Really? Before. Well, I think it was because I, I'd watched singers in my house. Yeah. If you've been brought up with singers sitting around, you know, and doing... And part, again, like the party pieces that family... Yeah. I watched my cousin, and I watched what it did to the room. I watched when Kate, her big song was... Uh, I mean, ironically, in the middle of this, you would think it would be Frank Sinatra or something, but it was Vincent. It was Don McLean, you know, and the, uh, and the effect on a room about this painter, you know, about Vincent Van Gogh, that's what it's about, you know, and starry, starry night, paint your palette blue and gold. All that. The room was blue and grey. I look out on a summer's day with eyes that know the darkness in my soul. Shadows on the hill. And I would watch her singing it and watch what it did to the room. And it, it, and it gave me chills. It gave me... Right. And I would think, why oh, might you do that? How would you do that? And then, so, then standing up. I mean, I was nervous. But standing up and singing and, and just letting the voice come out and seeing the effect on other people and your pals. But that day in the music class did it. And then that happened over several, when I would audition for bands or it's a good feeling. I love getting up. We when we're in Portugal and all day, there'll be one night when I'm drunk enough to go to the karaoke and get up. <laughs> and, and nobody... What's your karaoke song? Oh, uh, it is... Anastasia, oh. not that kind of girl. Oh, because it's got a brilliant opening. Yeah, uh, and, and great lyrics as well. Great lyrics, and it's got. But uh, that's when my husband goes, "Oh no!" <laughs> and my brother-in-law, they go to another pub, and my sister and I'll get up and do, and I'll just do that, and it'll be all this time that we spent together. And you know, you just do that. And, in the room all good and nobody knows you from the car yeah, which is yeah. great and, you know? and, and nobody can get up after you obviously oh well they do there's some <laughs> great singers in karaoke and also if you're really steaming you, you doesn't people matter. don't care how you sound you just you don't just want to get up and, you just want to get up and sing but you get the feeling that a lot of singers would be quite precious about doing something like that they, they you know they wouldn't just relax and enjoy it and think i think i used to be i think i used yeah. to be much more precious you know the thought it would be different getting up in the horseshoe bar <laughs> in Glasgow because I would be yeah. or oh, there's I, I'm knowing there's Elaine C. Smith getting up and, and singing and, and it would be something I'd be like, Oh no, yeah, I'm not gonna do that. That's yeah. a different thing. But when you're on holiday in Portugal and nobody knows you no, I know. It is gone. Don't tape left. I was not tape anymore. It's digital. You're so, fine. I just saw it. You were on it, right? No, well, I saw let's, it. Thank you again, and um, I know you've got a busy day. Mike Top is supported by award-winning financial planners, McRae Financial Services. They offer top-quality financial advice in a friendly and straightforward manner at every stage of life. With a focus on great customer service, whether you're thinking about funding your retirement or buying your first home, why not get in touch today? Visit mcraefs.co.uk to find out more. Meanwhile, keep an eye and an ear out for the next episode of Mike Top with me, Alison Walker.
Thanks for listening.